first uh, ever one, uh, VRM one, um, and it's, it's all about... Um, Virtuality Media Associates was um, designed for podcasts and articles, and is for everybody who wants to write about VR or talk about VR. Um, and uh, it's, a li it's a little website, like a, a WordPress, um, but it's also, you know, so we can make a nice, clean format, like a page that can include pictures and videos and words and podcasts, audio and video podcasts, um, to share content that we make, that we collaborate on, in uh, some of the, uh, you know, the popular Facebook groups on virtual reality, you know, other websites like Reddit and uh, Twitter. So welcome to the first BRMA podcast, guys. Woo! <laughs> it is a pleasure to be So maybe we could all... All right, Adam and the Lovell. Um, if you guys want to introduce yourselves, I'll just uh, say if a little bit about what your interests are as they relate to VR, and maybe a, a little bit about your background, or what, what you're doing now. Just, Are we just, going alphabetically or by proximity <laughs> to Micah? <laughs> Alpha, we'll go alphabetically, I guess. Okay. My interests, as they're related to VR, I have programmed off and on for a number of years, in fact, half of my life since I was 12 years old. Of course, it had, of course, that's one thing. The other is the educational possibilities that VR offers, because biology and chemistry are both very visual sciences. I think it would be a fantastic tool. Language learning, another thing, and that's something we talked about with Zan in the first podcast, is how virtual reality can allow people to be immersed in the language without having to travel to another country. I maintain a blog, I maintain a podcast, I do quite a bit of research for a number of different nonprofits and different corporations, I make videos, I lose track of all the things I do. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, I guess my uh, interest as they relate to VR, um, I kind of started off with uh, visual effects in 3D at an early age, so I would say like I'm a visual effects artist who went to school for computer science and then got into uh, product design and uh, technology consulting after. When the VR kind of revolution started picking up steam, it seemed as if all my worlds are colliding and uh, I had the opportunity to work on uh, uh, an augmented reality and virtual reality prototype uh, at my previous employer. And uh, these days I'm working on uh, technology and marketing at a hospitality company and then nights and weekends I've been diving deeper into VR and uh, trying to brush up my C-sharp skills for the uh, wonderful storm that lays ahead. Awesome. Uh, C-sharp, um, uh, is that, you're using it in conjunction with Unity? Or? Yes, Unity. You know, I already introduced the VRMA. My name is Micah Bloomberg, and I am currently trying to grow this. Uh, my interest in VR is, uh, since I first heard about the Oculus Rift, um, Several years ago, uh, I was just I was on board, um, and this year I started going to meetups, um, the San Francisco Virtual Reality Meetup. I'm, uh, I'm actually part of San Francisco Virtual Reality. I'm also um, I run the, the Facebook group um, and the page, and I also participate with Women in VR. Uh, sorry, Women in VR and AR, Women in Allies, AR and VR. It's a meetup group. The intention is to um, 
help increase uh, the uh, role of women in this new VR industry to 51%. Um, there's a lot of tech industry in the Bay Area that is um, it's like 80-90% male. So, so that's a cool yeah. thing to be a part of. Um, and so it, it, it's uh, the groups that I participate in, and I'm an organizer with uh, Women and Allies in AR VR. Um, the groups that I participate in, um, we're trying to include everybody. Um, we're trying to make VR accessible to everyone uh, at all skill levels. Um, putting together classes um, with uh, collaborating to put together classes for people at the beginner level to learn Unity and some of the other VR programs and also 3D art programs so people can collaborate as an artist or a coder um, or have another role um, in the VR industry. And, you know, of course, VMRA, VIA, VRMA is designed to help people who want to be on the press angle in terms of supporting other authors, writers, to create content and to talk about VR and, and podcasts. Um, and um, also to... Um, uh, I run a couple... I helped to run a couple uh, Facebook groups that have more than 6,000 members each. Gear VR is one of them, and Oculus Rift is another one. And I have great teams of people that I work with to help run those groups. And so I like to be involved with a lot of projects to... You know, I can't do it all myself, to collaborate with others to unite the VR community to talk about these new products. And another uh, thing that I'm working on is um, WebGL or WebVR to create a website that you can you can actually, uh, you wear VR and you interact with the website. It's a, like a 3D website. Um, so that is something that I'm looking forward to be building um, in, next year. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's a little bit about my interest in VR. Welcome, guys. <laughs> yeah, glad to be here. Now, what you just uh, mentioned, I saw about a week ago, VR-enhanced websites. And do you think this is going to be a boom market within the next year? Well, um, it, it, I mean, okay, so um, to answer your question, um, any product that comes out for VR is going to be, like any application that comes out for VR, uh, um, we were so Balabal and I actually uh, I saw Balabal at VRX. Um, and we heard a lot of speeches, and one of the topics that came up is something that I heard I've, I've heard previously that um, there is a long sort of timetable before VR is expected to go mainstream. And what that means for individual products like web VR um, or any um, application is that you know for for one small developer to have one application is the user base is going to be a tiny fraction of the tiny fraction of human beings who buy VR in the first couple years. And maybe virtual reality will not become mainstream until 2018 at the earliest, um, meaning the adoption will be, you know, at that point, if you can survive, if you have a business and you're making virtual reality applications um, or web VR applications, you can probably expect to be able to make a profit um, on your business by 2018 because the installed user base of people who have virtual reality um, headsets um, will at that point be big enough to support your business model. But until then, we all have to kind of hunker down and survive for the next couple years until, until it really becomes big enough that, you know, you can build... You know, at that point, I hope to have a lot more people 
trained on building websites and creating their own virtual content um, in Unity and in every possible way that is accessible and easy to learn um, so that we can be prepared for that point when there is a, there is a market to make money. Yeah, I think uh, to add to that, I think the question everyone, on everyone's mind is like, what are the viable VR platforms in the near term and in the long term? And um, I think, you know, obviously WebVR in the long term has a lot going for it, right? Like you don't need to install anything. You just click and you dive right into a VR experience. And if we're talking about this kind of idealized dream of the, the metaverse, right, like where you seamlessly jump from one VR experience to another, I think WebVR will likely have a lot to do with that, but um, in the near term, it's hard enough to optimize for you know mobile VR or you know specific uh, you know uh, desktop configurations that you know being able to make experiences that kind of scale across any kind of computer that a user may have is probably a little while out. You know, I I would draw the analogy to kind of mobile where people say that you know native is awesome and you know you can get it very close to the metal, but eventually perhaps uh, web apps are going to completely outmode native and you're not even going to need that. So I'm sure we'll see uh, perhaps a similar trend uh, as far as the timing for that goes. I think it's uh, anyone's guess, right? Yeah, um, I agree. It is, it is kind of a guess in terms of when VR is going to become mainstream. But what we have been seeing is that Gear VR has been selling out, and I don't know if that's an issue of, you know, um, it's sold out. Basically, it sold out like the first day, right? 24 hours, yeah, on uh, Best Buy and Amazon. Yeah, um, and if you, you can buy it from Amazon, so you can buy it from Samsung, but it's up. It's basically a pre-order. It's not shipping right away. So I don't know if that means they just didn't make enough. <laughs> did they? Did they <laughs> underestimate the demand? Yeah, I think uh, people on Reddit were curious to know what the exact numbers were like, and uh, that would certainly be an interesting thing to see because, you know. The, the Gear VR just targets the brand new S, S6 line of uh, uh, Galaxy phones, including perhaps the Note 4 as well. And, uh, yeah, despite that, I mean, it sold out very quickly online, and, and I think people are having trouble finding it in-store as well. So I think that's a good sign. I, mobile VR has to go, uh, has to be huge, you know, because just the cost of entry is, is marginal compared to uh, upgrading your machine and getting the new... Uh, 980 Ti or you know uh, 970 uh, graphics card. Yeah, and that was the thing that we just saw. Um, uh, to clarify, the Gear VR, the new one actually doesn't work with the Note 4. Uh, John Carmack said he tried it; it just the connection doesn't uh, fit. But it does yeah. work with the new Note 5. It works with all the 2015 Samsung Galaxy phones. Gotcha. Including the S6 and the the S6 Edge. I bet a lot of people were bummed about that because the Note 4, you, you've got the replaceable battery and the micro SD cards, right? And right. Uh, I don't think the S5 has that. So people are going to be like, how am I going to put all my 360 <laughs> content on there? <laughs> yeah, and they stopped, uh, they, stopped it, they, they stopped making the old um, Gear VR Innovator Edition for the Note 4, so that's, you might have to like go on eBay to try to find... If you have a Note 4, you have to go on eBay to try to find an old... Innovator edition for Gear VR. But. Yeah, best of luck with that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm understanding here is it might be wise for companies to focus on more specialty applications than ones for a general audience because it still hasn't gone mainstream. 
Definitely, and also, you know, the performance considerations, you know, so these guys are saying 60 or 75 hertz, low persistent, ex you know, a VR experience needs to be optimized to give you that kind of throughput, otherwise, you know, you get nausea and the slew of other problems that, you know, people are having, so um, setting a baseline uh, configuration or expectation for what the hardware should be, um, you know, is kind of needed in these early days. Uh, but obviously, as we go on, you know, at VRX, Micah and I saw um, NVIDIA talking about very amazing plans that each year they plan on being able to squeeze out even more performance from older hardware. So eventually we'll see a point where, um, you know, graphics cards uh, that are, you know, perhaps old, you know, today might actually be able to run, uh, you know, uh, uh, a baseline VR experience down the line. Now, um, I want to mention that, um, you know, just in case anybody's lost on what VR is, I, had a, I thought of a new way to describe it. So you put on a headset, and it, it allows you to see a software room. Um, so it's just like the room around you, but it's the room is made out of software. Um, and when you're in that software room that you can see with the headset, you can look around inside the room, but then you can also communicate with other people who are in that software room, but joining you from different places in the world. So um, uh, my parents, for example, I'm in San Francisco, my parents are in Texas, and my sister is in Los Angeles, and I was telling my sister, I said, so basically when you're in that software room, that means that you can, that, uh, that dad can put on his headset in Texas, and you can put on your headset in, in Los Angeles, and you can be in the same software room as if you're sitting across the table from dad. Um, and then you can pick up uh, ping pong uh, a, 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 with your motion controllers. Uh, you can pick up a, um, let's say the pen is your motion controller. Uh, that will create a representation of your hand in the software room. And then you can play ping pong uh, with, uh, with dad across the table from you. Um, and it works that, that well. Um, now, the Gear VR does not currently have motion controllers, but what I but what I can tell you, there was a news item that, um, this is exciting news, that, um, the, that the Gear VR is now has a, a, a web browser. So when you're in Gear VR, you can browse the web. And I was listening to a talk from uh, Mozilla about the development of, of uh, web VR. Um, and uh, Tony Parisi uh, was uh, talking about it as well in this talk. I'll share the video link with you guys. Um, it'll be underneath uh, this video as a link. Um, but basically what happens is they're making, um, Valava was talking about you need 75 hertz refresh rate just to have comfortable VR. Well, they're talking about these revolutions in the web platform that enables not only us to have rich 3D graphics that are moving as fast as like, um, you know, like the best 3D games like on, um, you know, streaming like the best uh, 3D games like on Unreal Engine. Um, you can have that in your web, in your web browser now. Uh, but in addition to that, we have the web is now being optimized to run at 75 hertz for virtual reality. So you can have a website running at 75 hertz. And the next optimization is 90 hertz. So you'll be able to have the 90 hertz Oculus Rift or the 90 hertz HTC Vive, and you'll be able to experience web uh, great 3D graphics from a website. Um, that is running at 90 hertz, which means it's a very comfortable, very good-looking virtual reality experience of websites um, that you can uh, that you can build with uh, 
very easily with, with just some basic knowledge of how to build websites. At least that is the goal, and that's the product that's coming soon. And that's very exciting. Yeah, it's, it's going to be huge for this, you know, kind of huge pool of web developers who already know JavaScript and basic front-end coding, and they'll be able to, able to jump right in and, and make this kind of awesome stuff. So, yeah, well, you know, one step towards uh, the metaverse. Yeah, and we're really talking about using JavaScript to build uh, 3D worlds on the web that you can interact with in virtual reality. So that's, um, that's where we're going with that. I did want to talk about high fidelity uh, for a minute because uh, I was at the high fidelity event uh, the other night, and um, I saw Balabal there. <laughs> we got some, uh, we got some, some uh, videos that we're going to share. We're gonna create, I'm, I'm working on creating a little bit of article about that. Yeah, it's a very fun demo, guys. Very fun. Early days, but still, you can see kind of uh, where this is all going, and it, it's quite amazing. So I, I haven't had a chance to try the Oculus Touch demo. So I think a lot of people use that as their point of reference. You know, the, the gold standard, if you will, for uh, social VR. But I think uh, one of the uh, points uh, Philip Rosedale was making is that you know that involves two computers, you know, networked, you know, locally. Uh, you know, it's basically one computer and another computer in the adjacent room. Here we're talking about, you know, an actual server and, um, you know, this happening over the Internet. And um, so it, despite that, it was it was quite amazing. Yeah, so um, we heard, so basically um, the idea behind high fidelity, it's a, it's a social network, but it's also, um, again, it comes back to being in a software room with the, with the headset. Um, and being able to um, use like the Hydra motion controllers to interact with other people. Um, in this case, um, it means a lot of other people. Just like, um, if, I don't know if some people know about Second Life, um, but it's basically a huge uh, social network that you are immersed in that you can see around you, um, and you can pick up things from the table. Um, like um, I saw Balabo, he, was, he picked up a ping pong uh, a shooter. marshmallow gun. <laughs> a little marshmallow gun. Yeah. And he was shooting people all over the place. And I, later on, I got to try it. And I got to tell you, that was a moment of, like, elation for me because here I am, and I pick up something in VR, and I'm, sh I'm shooting it at other people in VR. I mean, it's like a little, um, like a little marshmallow gun. I'm shooting yeah. little white balls all over the place. But uh, it was silly, but it was, like, it was working. And that was... Incredible. Um, and kind of, if we step back and kind of give them the background of kind of what this uh, demo was supposed to showcase, they call this, I think they called it the toy room or the playroom or something like that. Something like that. And um, so they were just trying to demonstrate a common place where a bunch of people, like your avatar representation, can get together in this, you know, virtual or, you know, synthetic space, as Micah was describing. And uh, you can talk to each other just as you would in real life. So, you know, one of the key things to realize is, you know, unlike this Google Hangout where, you know, one of us talks and you have, you know, one of us takes the full screen and then the, you have the other little, you know, tiles on the bottom, uh, only one person can speak at once. Uh, these guys actually did a, a fairly good job of, you know, audio spatialization. So just like real life, if you're sitting around a table, you could be having a sidebar with somebody next to you and then you know start conversing with the entire room, and then have a sidebar again. And uh, I think they were just showcasing the place where uh, they have uh, they do their demos, and they also hold their team meetings. Um, and uh, they have a bunch of fun objects on this table in front of you. You can 
stack some blocks. You got this marshmallow gun. I think there was also a real gun that somebody else was having a blast with and uh, a whiteboard, um, a little uh, basketball uh, court outside where you can toss basketballs in, in the hoop. Um, just stuff to show, you know, how, uh, what's kind of possible and people, you know, all over the globe could be getting together and, uh, you know, sharing the space. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing that perhaps we'll dive into later is the cool thing about VR is unlike this TV screen or, you know, computer screen where you can rationalize, it's this flat plane and, you know, it's, it's not a part of your reality. Um, in when you're in these virtual spaces in these 3d spaces, your mind, you know, is, is tricked into thinking it's, it's fairly real despite, you know, whatever aesthetic choice they choose and you recall it as a real memory. You, you know, some people start having dreams about the virtual worlds that they're spending time in. So, um, where this is going is, uh, is, is amazing to say the least. Yeah, exactly. And some of the technology um, that they were talking about at High Fidelity, um, they were talking about um, having people host their own servers. And so you could create your own version of High Fidelity, like you can create uh, rooms, and you could create buildings, and you could create um, you know, different interaction scenarios. And then you host it on your server, and it's sort of democratized uh, just the way the internet is. And and um, did you? They actually talked about um, using cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, um, and I, I didn't get that whole like in, in terms of you know people could actually you you can create your own server for high fidelity, the social network, uh, but also people could um, you could have a model of high fidelity where people can use your server, um, and there could be uh, ways to. They could pay for that with uh, Bitcoin if they really like the environment that you've created, or they really they really like your server. Um, there's and there's different options that they were talking about. You know, hey, what could we do with cryptocurrencies to create marketplaces in, in VR? Where you know, if you look at Second Life, um, uh, there's over a billion dollars of transactions. That their G Second Life's GDP is like a billion dollars a year. Um, and um, and Second Life is a great example of uh, of women in women in, in VR uh, who are making a lot of money um, because it, the majority of people of those of that billion dollars with the transactions is uh, uh, basically run by uh, female business owners in Second Life, um, and this is what um, so it's it's not just a social network; it is a uh, there are opportunities. Economy, right? Like in a sense, it's a virtual economy. And uh, yes. um, the CCP Games guy was talking about this too, uh, Hilmar at VRX, right? About how um, you know his video game also is is this extremely complicated economy. And uh, and so to think, you know, <laughs> that we can actually model what the world could be like in these virtual worlds and try different things, right? Like try. Uh, you know, obviously, we've got a really good thing going with capitalism these days. Um, but perhaps if you wanted to, <laughs> but perhaps if you wanted to try different models, you know, in in a in a very legitimate manner, you could do these things using virtual worlds. And and uh, you know, I think uh, you know CCP Games and uh, and now um, this uh, you know, Second Life certainly, and uh, perhaps High Fidelity will be uh, excellent examples of that, and perhaps many more uh, to come. Right. Absolutely. So, um, so Adam, what do you 
what's your um, what do you know about um, high fidelity or maybe um, or just social, social VR in general? Yeah. Social VR, Second Life. Have, have you had any experience with those? Virtually nothing. Uh -huh. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> I, I know a little bit about Second Life. I played it probably three or four hours total. I wasn't able to really get into it, but I definitely see potential for games like it. And if someone has the ability to take some base like Second Life, alter the rules ever so slightly, then you could have all of these different permutations for different tastes. Slightly exactly. different models yeah. of reality. Exactly, yeah. So um, it is, it is um, about being able to create something in VR, but then have a social network built around it to invite other people to share that with you. If uh, someone wants a game in which there's a lot of jousting and tea <laughs> drinking, then... So be it. If they want one that's Star Trek themed, so be it. That's the beauty of it all, is this customizability. Yeah, we were seeing um, so some of the other names. There's also um, an alt space VR company that's uh, but they're but they as far as I've seen so far they're not offering you the chance to create your own um, it's still in the early days, but basically but you can only use the ones, the worlds that they've sort of created for you. That's correct. And avatars are really robots, and they're really designed to, um, to give you um, VR on all platforms. So, like, you could use, a, you could have a social network on the Gear VR on the mobile, uh, because it's, it's designed to create super low performance fidelity. demands. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, low fidelity, high fidelity. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking a little bit about the possible synergies between VR and AR and other emerging technologies. For instance, there was an article going around about a fellow who was able to control his TV with a computer he built in Minecraft. Hmm. So by turning off this virtual TV, turned on his, or turned off his real TV, or using artificial intelligence to create these fairly immersive personalities that someone can interact with, or potentially, what was the other one that could be done? Oh, yes, using sophisticated neurofeedback, reading inputs from the nervous system to control an avatar or to compose music, say, by playing a certain melody and allowing a person's galvanic response or something similar to alter it ever so slightly and register the feedback so they can unconsciously create a melody oh, or wow. tone or timbre. I think uh, the direction this stuff is going is going to be amazing, right? Like, uh, these are some great examples, and in the next five to ten years, that line between, uh, you know, what's virtual and what's real is certainly going to blur, right? And, uh, of course, right now we're talking about putting, essentially, mobile displays, you know, very close to our faces and immersing ourselves in virtual worlds, but 
based on the type of stuff Magic Leap is working on. Um, and uh, interestingly, uh, using some of the technologies, the uh, the the grandfather of VR and AR, uh, Tom Furness, um, you know, essentially projecting photon photons into your retina, into your eyes. And um, I, I, you know, it's it, you know, I wonder, you know, if you think about what is a room in 2020 going to look like? Are people people actually going to have you know, especially now, are, are people actually going to have, you know, a huge 55-inch TV sitting around, or is it mostly going to be empty, and uh, everything that you populate, you know, all the paintings on the wall, you know, all the, uh, you know, uh, little trinkets and uh, decorations that you have are all virtual, or, you know, uh, and then it and Snap customizes, you know, when your wife walks into the room or when your kids walk into the room. Um, I think, uh, I think uh, we're living in very exciting times. No doubt about it. Another thing that I foresee is someone, I really hope, will create a VR application that allows you to edit film and score music. Because using a mouse is a pain in the ass to uh -huh. do those things with. It's funny, uh, I think uh, Phil Brosdale was making that point in his presentation saying a mouse is two degrees of freedom, right? And uh, you know, if you have mobile VR, you've got three degrees of freedom. You can basically change your head orientation. And then... If you uh, if you get a you know Gear VR or something, you've got six degrees of freedom. And then when you get two little you know things into the mix, you know uh, you've got you know 24 or 18. Sorry, 18 degrees of freedom. So the interfaces that you know you could create leveraging that amount of uh, um, you know kind of. Now let's explain the 18 yeah. degrees of freedom. You're talking about. Six um, on your head, and uh, then six on each hand. So you can right. change the orientation of what you're holding, and then also the position, the X, Y, Z in the X, Y, Z space, as well as the rotation on the yeah. X, Y, and Z axis. So now for your head a, and for two of your hands. Now that's a great point that I wanted to um, also talk about in terms of what people can expect. With the Gear VR, there's no position tracking right now. Um, but we're expecting, you know, at VRX we learned that we should expect several... Uh, phones coming out next year that offer position tracking for augmented reality and virtual reality. Um, and that means that um, you'll be able to, with the phone in the future, you'll be able to move around in a software room to get, you know, head tracking. Um, so you'll get... Without you know, any wires. <laughs> without, a, without any wires, yeah. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, but not but not yet. Not with the current Gear VR um, and with the with the other options, I wanted to mention that um, the Oculus Rift that's coming out in the quarter one of 2016 is basically a seeded experience. It doesn't have all the same capabilities because the first version of it only comes with an Xbox controller, and it has one camera, so it, so it can sort of track you if you're facing the camera. So the idea is you sit down in a chair with the Xbox controller, and the only real freedom of movement is the six degrees you can move your head, um, and then you use the Xbox controller um, for other movements. But in the second quarter of 2016, it comes out a product called the Oculus Touch, which will allow you to get up and move around a little bit more. Um, it'll give you two motion controllers. You have that freedom, and you can... There's a product called Medium, which is coming, um, which allows you to... To uh, you can you can grab something with one hand and you can cause it to rotate in your hand and you can paint with the other hand you can paint it um, 
there's a product um, there's a product called the HTC Vive, which is coming out December 8th in the U.S. and I think it's the U.S. and and uh, the U.K. and Germany. And then later next year um, in 2016 or the the first quarter of 2016 is supposed to come out in more places. But this product actually comes with two motion controllers from the get go. And it comes with room scale tracking, so you can set up an area that's as big as 15 feet by 15 feet, um, but but smaller spaces work fine, um, and that allows you to turn around completely. Um, if you get this app called Tilt Brush, it allows you to um, to paint in 3D spaces, and you can your controller, which you can see. Um, can turn into a menu, and you can use the other controller. You have a little laser pointer. You can select different paintbrushes, and then you can paint light in 3D, and then you can step around what you painted so that you can... Um, that's the 18 degrees of movement. So you have, you know, you can, you know, move your hand in, in six different directions, um, and, then you can, and then you can actually move your body. You can step around it. So the, what I wanted to say was that you get... Um, with the vibe that comes out in December, you're actually getting a lot more freedom of movement than the the rift that comes out in the first quarter of 2016. So you're actually getting a whole room, your own holodeck, um, that you will be able to get if you buy the second part of the Oculus Touch that comes out in uh, the second quarter of 2016. But I just wanted to clarify that so people don't, you don't think it's the same thing. You're actually not getting the same thing. In the near term, at least. In the Eventually, near term. Yeah. In the Eventually, long term, yeah. in the long term, yeah, you can you can get that on the Rift as well. But the first, but the the products that are coming out in the first quarter of 2016, um, it's just on the it's just the vibe that has that freedom of, of the tracking. Yeah, and I, I, I'd be curious to, you know, I wish we could ask Oculus, like, what's their strategy behind that? Maybe it's just that the touch controllers are going to take a little bit longer to polish up. And um, in the near term, they want to give people a way to ease into it. You know, I think another thing I've seen, and I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on this, is uh, I think HTC themselves, uh, or, or sorry, Valve themselves did some uh, basic surveying of their user base to figure out how many people would actually, you know, clear out their room and dedicate a space for kind of room-scale VR, you know. So we're, we're talking about, you know, mounting things in the corners of your wall or, you know, depending on how you choose to set it up. Um, Versus, uh, you know, uh, you know, and it was apparently not that many. I don't have the exact figures off the top of my head, but um, it wasn't it wasn't too many people. So um, perhaps Oculus is trying to like uh, ease people into it in a manner. Obviously, I'm just speculating here, but to give people a very good uh, seated VR experience, where you have two positional, you know, two of your uh, positional trackers that you place on the on the table in front of you, so you can kind of swivel around, you know. Quite a bit, you know, maybe past, maybe maybe even past 180 degrees. But after a certain point, you would be including the trackers. Um, the Vive obviously does not have this problem. Um, but regardless, I think uh, whichever option people end up choosing, um, it'll be, I think, you know, leaps, you know, and bounds beyond the DK2 or you know anything else. That, you know, all their stuff. Anything else that we've experienced in the past and. Um, It'll certainly get people excited about it, right? So, so what do you guys think about you know uh, the the audience out there that's willing to uh, start you know dedicating a holodeck space, if you will? I suppose I'll go first because I think Micah might have 
quite a bit to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I think that once they try it, now I've never used a VR system, excluding, of course, the very old Virtual Boy I played at a friend's <laughs> house, which isn't really VR or anything close to it. Once they try it, they might say, well, I have that spare room. I don't need a bathroom. I don't need a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, there's some guys online were saying that, uh, oh, man, you Americans, you have so much space. We don't have that much space in Europe. <laughs> I do want... Now, when we're talking about space, yeah, that is a real concern. Um, Valve sent out like a survey asking people how much space they had and like the majority of people said they had you know like a few feet of space like not 15 feet like you know like a really small area um, which is still fine for using the valve but it's just um, I don't think it's realistic that people have an entire room uh, like a whole room just for VR. Um, another thing that um, when we're talking about you know what people are going to use in their homes. Um, there was this. Um, we listened to a talk at uh, at VRX um, about uh, Magic Leap, and uh, so Magic Leap is augmented reality. And, and no, 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 mixed reality, dude. Mixed, mixed reality. <laughs> yeah, that's just the term that they've chosen. After uh, I think they were using cinematic reality for a while too uh, back there, I believe. Uh, but I think they've decided to go on MR. So HoloLens and uh, uh, Magic Leap are, have been pushing the term mixed reality, kind of as a as a, uh, a middle point between VR and AR. It is, and it, and I think that term is appropriate because um, the term augmented reality it sort of um, gets confused with the military HMDs, which just it shows you like um, text. 2D overlays, yeah. 2D overlays. So maybe mixed reality is a better term for um, for Hololens and um, and Magic Leap. Uh, but but so Bilabo was talking about this earlier in the call. He was talking about how um, technologies are coming which will project photons directly to your eye, so so that um, when you look around in your room. Um, your house can become a part of it. Your kitchen can become a part of it. They were talking about this at VRX. This is really coming. Um, Magic Leap is designed so that you can walk into any room of your house, and you maybe you'll have like a little robot character that will, you'll interact with. Um, and um, and just like um, Adam was saying, this there's AI that's going to be integrated into these programs. And so this little character is an AI program. Um, and it will ask you, hey, are we in the kitchen? And you'll say yes. And then it has a whole bunch of apps where it can recognize the surfaces of your kitchen. It can create stuff that's not really there. Um, you, could, you, could, um, you could be looking around your kitchen, and all of a sudden it looks like your cabinets open up because there is actual photons that are being projected at your eyeball that make it look as if it, they are your cabinets. And so you can see your cabinets open up, or you can see the roof of your house being torn off by a giant that then looks in at you from through the roof of your house. And it looks totally real because the technology uses actual um, 
photons that are projected at your eye, so it really looks like the roof of your house was just torn off. Uh, and that's how good the technology is, so your whole family can participate in these um, mixed reality games where maybe you have um, like little blasters and it's a family game and you're shooting your laser blasters at the giant to make the giant go away. Um, or maybe there's a dragon um, that your family can fight off. And the good news is that when the fun time is over, your house goes back to normal and you can go to, you can go to sleep, but then you wake up the next day and you're like, that really happened. Yeah. I saw that happen. That was happened to my house. It happened with my family. We all experienced that. Um, but your house is safe and sound because it was just a computer program um, and some high-tech projectors that um, and some really fancy artificial intelligence that sort of um, turned your house into a mixed reality game. And this is this is not fantasy. This is not um, this is not uh, a sci-fi dream. This is a real product, a real product that's coming. Um, we don't know the exact timetable, but it might be coming next year. Yeah, everyone's hoping it's sooner than later. And, and to your point, Mike, uh, you know about the software sharing a space with you, Adam. I think you'll really like this. Is uh, the chief creative officer? I think Graham was his name. Remy. Oh, yeah. Um, I, ha I have it here. I'll look it up while you're talking. Yeah, so, uh, so basically it was talking about you know an interesting user experience design challenge that they're facing, which is how do you design software that lives with you in your physical spaces? And, uh, you know, so just, just thinking of software like that as opposed to, uh, especially when you tie in the AI component, uh, you know, as opposed to flat screens on a wall, which is really what we've been used to for all this time. So I think we'll see some very novel uses of, uh, of this kind of technology. And, um, you know, kind of to contrast, while Mike is looking this up, to contrast uh, Magic Leap against, you know, HoloLens or any of the other HMDs, um, what you have is, you know, more or less, whether or not, you know, it's, it's full block out the environment VR or HoloLens-style transparent displays, it's usually a display at a fixed distance from your eyes, and it's kind of stuck to your eyes, right? The Magic Leap thing. So, so with that, um, everything that you see, you know, your eyes focuses on different things in in Z space, right, far away from you. Mm -hmm. So here, you're only looking at one thing, you know, a fixed distance away from you. So unless you do some, you know, some fancy eye tracking uh, to fake depth of field, um, you know, you're essentially you've got the image stuck, you know, in one plane at a fixed distance from you. Whereas when you're projecting stuff in the eye, the the claim to fame with the with Magic Leap is you can naturally shift focus on objects that are far away and closer to you. And uh, you know, if you guys look up the most recent video that they released, uh, which is apparently shot on, uh, it isn't a you know post-production uh, you know uh, kind of tr no post-production trickery involved. It's actually using production hardware, I think, or prototype hardware. Um, we'll link it. This, we will link it uh, in the video. It's uh, like there's this galaxy, uh, you know, simulation going on or solar system simulation, and uh, the user is shifting focus to somebody in the background and then some of the objects close by, and it does it very naturally. So, um, you know, that there's that benefit of uh, not, you know, of, uh, of that Magic Leap is touting, and uh, certainly everyone's hoping uh, it comes out sooner than later. Yeah. So, by the way, his name was um, was Graham, Graham Devine. Graham Devine. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, well, actually, his name is spelled G-R-A-E-M-E. Yeah, so, Graham. <laughs> Graham. Sorry, Graham, if we're, if we're butchering your name. <laughs> we tried. <laughs> yeah, awesome talk, despite them having to be very uh, kind of roundabout uh, a lot of questions that were asked, under understandably so. But an another thing that I tried at VRX that I wanted to mention was the, the London Heist game on the Sony PlayStation VR. Um, London Heist, okay, so you, you sit in a chair and you put on the PlayStation VR, which is a headset that works with PlayStation, and you get two motion controllers, and they have little lights on them, but when you're in the game, they, they look like your hands. So you don't see the controllers, obviously, because you're in the computer program. Um, and you're sitting in a car, or I was sitting in a car, and to my right was a another AI character, um, and it was a I think he was a, a Russian character, and he was talking to me in the car, and he was like, "Hey, I want you to um, check out the car, look in the glove box, you know, pick up stuff, check stuff out." And so I'm like, I use my I use the PlayStation Motion controllers, and I'm reaching down and I pick up a like a cup, you know, for drinking, and I I throw it in the car, and then I. I look in the. I open the glove compartment, and there's like clips, and um, and on the on the dashboard is like an Uzi, and so I pick up this this. Um, it's just a software Uzi. I made a software car, just like a racing game. But the thing is, it is so realistic that I feel like this guy keeps talking to me, and I look over, <laughs> and I feel like I'm really like this. There's a real person sitting next to me, and I, I'm. I'm like, and I, he's talking to me, and I'm like, I really feel like somebody is sitting next to me really talking to me, but even though this person is made out of software and artificial intelligence, and he, like, the animation is so good, it's like there's an actual person there, and I feel like I'm actually in this car, and we're driving on a freeway, and I know some exciting stuff is about to happen, so um, he tells me to watch out that there's some guys on motorcycles and guys in cars, and they're driving up behind me, and he says, look behind you, and I, I look behind me, and I, like, <laughs> lean, and I can see that there's a motorcycle coming up behind me, and he says, shoot that motorcycle, and I grab the Uzi, and I, I grab a clip, and I put it in the Uzi, and these, I'm, remember, I'm holding two motion controllers, but I see, like, my hands have this Uzi now, and I just picked it up, and I just, I'm squeezing the motion controller, and that picks up the, the clip, and I put it like this, and that slides it into the, the gun, and then I just turn around and I start shooting at the motorcycle, <laughs> and my aim is perfect. Exactly, I'm like aiming, and it's it's working. It's like I have, it's perfect. Um, and so I have perfect, you know, aim. If you have to use your actual line of sight, it's not like shooting in a video game. Yeah. I mean, it is a video game, but it's not like a, it's not like a cursor you have, or like a controller. Yeah. Yeah, you actually have to use your own line of sight and like line stuff up, and I'm like shooting at these cars, and of course it's you know it's a video game, so they're exploding for no reason. Like you know, if you shoot at a car, it's not going to explode yeah. in real life. But <laughs> of course not. <laughs> <laughs> massive plumes of smoke and flames and sparks and it's beautiful. It's and of course they're shooting back at me, but I never, I don't, I don't die. You know, it's just <laughs> it's like it's, oh. <laughs> But while I'm doing this, this Russian guy starts talking to me again, and I'm like, holy cow, it's like he's really there. It's like, what the heck? So I have to say that PlayStation VR just blew me away. There's a lot of people who said, 
you know, VR would never work on Gear VR because the phone is just too weak. It doesn't have graphical power. Um, but actually, when, you, when I tried Gear VR, I had some amazing experiences. I went to Machu Picchu. I went to London. I went to Paris. I saw these places. It was like a vacation that I didn't have. To, I didn't really have to pay for. You know, I mean, it's, it wasn't yeah. like I, you know, traveled around the world for real. I got to see these places though, and it, like I saw, I understood London in a brand new way. I understood the space in a brand new way because I haven't been there personally. So that was just mind blowing to be able to go on a virtual vacation. But with the PlayStation VR, people said. Oh, PlayStation can't do it. They can't do 120 frames per second. They can't come close to the Oculus Rift on the PC with the NVIDIA 980 GTX graphics processor. It has this five-year-old chipset. Yeah. But that's what I discovered at VRX is that is all wrong. Yeah, yeah. to the naysayers, it, it looks great. It, it, it works awesome. Place, see, the PlayStation, um, because, of the, because, because of the way consoles are designed, it has direct access to the graphical libraries, unlike a PC, which has to spend all this performance on the operating system and all the, the tasks that the operating system has to run and all the non-gaming libraries. With a, with a console like the PlayStation, you have direct access to... Um, and this is, this is the reason... This is what... Um, you know, there's just these new products called DirectX 12, and on the OSX, there's um, something called Metal. And these products are designed to allow really hardcore uh, gaming developers to have a more direct access to the system so that they can optimize it to come, to come a little bit closer to what a console can provide. Um, but Getting the thing closer is... closer to the metal, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, consoles, even old consoles that are a few years old, like the PlayStation and the Xbox One, they have a massive um, advantage over PCs that allows you to create something in VR which is so exciting, so realistic, and it's going to be, like PlayStation VR is going to be, is coming out in the summer of 2016, and I'm thinking that, okay, I'm thinking that what we're looking at is it's going to be cost three hundred dollars to buy a PlayStation that comes with two games, and it's going to be about three hundred dollars, or at the most four hundred dollars, but probably three hundred dollars to get the PlayStation VR. So that means for about six hundred, or maybe seven hundred at the most, you can have actual v, a VR experience that will blow you away, that will make you feel like you're really there in that software room, in that car, on the freeway, with the Russian guy next to you, shooting at <laughs> motorcycles. It is the best, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, PlayStation VR is so awesome, and to all the doubters were wrong. It is definitely a great VR experience, and you don't have to have a $1,200 PC to have great VR. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean... It's a teleportation device, right? And and it works very very well. I think um, uh, what were the the PlayStation? They they also have shared memory on consoles, right? Unlike a computer, where it's dedicated, you've got dedicated memory for your graphics card, and then dedicated RAM for the computer. Um, yeah, and they know you know they know what the exact specs on a on a PS4 are, so they're optimizing for that, and they're only going to get better. And uh, you know, even if you're thinking, you know, if somebody who hasn't tried this stuff and is thinking about, oh, you know, I've got these two sticks in my hand, you know, how, how am I going to think, you know, that, that must be clunky. You know, as Micah is describing, you know, he got into it, you know, I got into it. You forget that you're holding these things and 
even though you're doing this very kind of rudimentary simplified gesture of you know loading clips into a gun, magazine clips, um, you forget that and very quickly you're just doing it and it's seamless and you're just you know shooting at uh, uh, these cars and cars going by. And uh, although I will say, I think it was a British guy. <laughs> Because it's the oh, London okay. Heist demo. Oh, yeah, that makes and, sense. Uh, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, despite that, uh, you know, the audio spatialization was on spot, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. And so I think uh, we must also consider that, you know, there are a bunch more PS4s out there already. So I think for people who already have, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people who have that stuff, all they need to do is, you know, drop three, 400 bucks and get a, you know, HMD to get a, a high-end VR experience, um, I think it's uh, it's going to be a no-brainer for a lot of folks. Not to mention, Sony's probably going to have a bunch of exclusive uh, VR content coming up. Absolutely. I heard that there's over 200 developers who are making content for PlayStation VR right now. So... <laughs> That's awesome. Get pumped, everybody. <laughs> Now, your story, Micah, brings up a lot of different ideas. I Now, the first one, of course, is that people have difficulty imagining something. And for instance, it's like it's trying to explain the tropics to someone who has lived in Antarctica, well, in Alaska their entire life. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. cold there. Or explaining the sensation of freezing to someone who's lived in Jamaica their entire life. So someone looking at a guy with a VR system thinks, oh, that's dumb. How can anyone get into that? But <laughs> I mean, people get into television. They got into tiny black-and-white TVs way back when they first came out. The other one is, I suppose the other thing is, with these sorts of experiences being so amazing and so immersive, there's good and bad that comes from that. One is... As you mentioned, if you're simulating an action in a very realistic manner, you can train someone with it. Mm -hmm. You could train a soldier, and it would be much cheaper than taking them out to a shooting range. The other one is uh, some people, maybe a lot of people, would prefer virtual reality to their ordinary lives. And the other one is, and we talked about augmented reality, but now that you've said mixed reality, that sounds much more friendly to me, and <laughs> it sounds like something the community should adopt. It sounds much less frightening that at some point our lives will be consumed by augmented reality. When I'm looking at this glass of tea, some spectrometer or other analytical tool will tell me exactly what's in it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll look over and I'll see a Bulbasaur over there. And I'll have to go <laughs> yep, you open your refrigerator and it's like your milk, your milk is super stale, dude. Go get some new milk already. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great um, to have a little AI program that could, you know, not only tell you if your milk is stale, like, but also tell you, like, the Maybe it'll tell you like the calories of what you're eating or something like, you know, unless you know, and it will know how much you ate earlier, and it can tell you, okay, so if you if you finish this meal, that means that today so far you've eaten uh, sixteen hundred calories um, or something. That would be hallelujah, man! <laughs> it's like screw my fitness, pal. I don't need that anymore. <laughs> A miniature mass spec 
machine. I mean, one that was really good could tell you vitamins, it could tell you phytonutrients, it could tell you mercury and cadmium content. It's, it would be really fantastic. And it would be a way of also ensuring product quality across the board. Definitely. It would give all companies a lot of motivation to stay on their toes. Yeah, yeah. sensors colliding with augmented and virtual reality. I think, you know, uh, the Internet of Things, as people have started calling it. <laughs> uh, but just sensors in general, right? Like, uh, it's going to be huge. And, and, and applications that we can't even begin to imagine right now, right? And uh, I think I really like the analogy of, uh, you know, trying to guess what the killer app on the iPhone was going to be in 2008. You know, nobody would have thought that people would be playing Flappy Bird. You know, <laughs> uh, let, let alone envisioning things like Instagram or Snapchat and, you know, some of the other uh, amazing social networking tools that we have. Um, so, but sensors in particular, how, how expensive is a mass spectrometer right now to get one of these things? I recently saw one, a pocket-sized one that is about $100. I oh, don't know how good, good it is. Mm. It's not bad at all, especially yeah. when you compare it to mass spec from... 10, 20 years yeah. ago. Uh-huh. Probably talking tens of thousands of dollars, right? If not hundreds, right? Yes, Besi it's well beyond my price range. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, besides, um, you know, a mass spectrometer to measure the chemical contents of, of whatever food you're eating, there's another cool application um, that, that, I, that I saw. It, um, you sort of try to make a segue into, like, uh, fitness. Uh, AR and... Uh, mixed reality, augmented reality, and virtual reality for fitness. Um, one example of a product that was made for fitness was this um, bike from a company from called Verzoom. And the bike, it's a bicycle, it's a $200 bicycle that you can have in your house, which is extremely um, inexpensive when you think about it. Like um, a bike that you use for exercise at home doesn't cost 200 it costs uh, a lot more than that. But they've created a $200 controller that gives you a bicycle that you can have in your house, but then you put on a headset. It's a VR headset, but this is just the first version of it. I mean, they could, you could do this with augmented reality also. Um, but the virtual headset, like, I got on this bicycle, and they had me, like, um, I was on a Pegasus, which is a horse that has wings, so it flies. And so to make the horse um, fly, I had to pedal faster. And it was, it was neat, but... Um, and to make the horse go left or right, I had to actually lean with my shoulders to make it go left. I mean, so the camera in front of me recognized which way I was leaning. And I was in a forest, um, and there were apples on the tops of the trees. So I had to pedal faster to make the bike go up to the height of the apple. But if I stopped pedaling, it would fall down. And the speed that I was pedaling determined how fast I went up or down. So I had to pedal at a constant rate of speed and I had to lean in exactly the right direction to try to hit that tiny apple in the air um, to get points. Um, it was the, an apple for the horse for the Pegasus to eat. But it was really hard, but at the same time, it was because it was hard, it was extremely fun. This is going to be an incredibly popular game because you really can hit those apples if you try hard. And by the time you're done... You take off the headset, and you are sweating. I was sweating so much. I had a massive workout. I was out of breath, and it didn't feel like I was exercising. I was just having fun. And you can do this with 
mixed reality as well, augmented reality as well, where you are maybe in your house and you have to, you know, maybe um, it's it's hard to imagine, but somebody, but this is something that is a very reasonable product to create with the technologies that are coming to us in terms of how you maybe you will be um, a window will open up in front of you and it will be a vista, so you can still see mixed reality is or augmented and mixed reality isn't is. Uh, isn't as foreboding as having something that totally covers your face because you can see your family come in the room. Um, you can say hello to them. Uh, and you can also, at the same time, you can have virtual windows. Um, like a window can open up into the wall. Let's see you have a flat space next to, next to your bike. Well, that could become a window into seeing your family that's in India or England or Florida. Um, and you could, you know, say hello to them and talk to them. And you could be... Run, you could be in front of you could be a window that makes it look like you're riding into a forest or the mountains, and you can interact with people who are actually in your house. At the same time, you could, um, you know, play a video game on your bicycle, and um, so that's that's a very uh, real possibility of something that you'll be able to do next, probably next year. That's a very uh, very good point you bring up, Micah, um, because you know a lot of people when they think of VR, right? They're thinking of people, you know, sedentarily just sitting in a chair and kind of have eventually, I don't know, an IV of Mountain Dew going into their arms and, you know, <laughs> you know not moving at all. But in reality, virtual reality and uh, augmented reality, certainly augmented reality, but even VR has a lot of potential for uh, fitness applications and stuff that does get you going. Um, and, and uh, yeah. I just want uh, so people who want to check that out, it's called Verzoom, V-I-R-Z-O-O-M. But finish what you were saying, Bilal. Yeah, I mean, kind of the augmented reality, like uh, you know, a, a gym trainer that follows you and you know travels with you in, in the gym, and as you're throwing plates on there, you know, for your bench press, you know, using the camera on there, it's already detecting what you put on, you know, adds up and gives you the exact weight, counting your reps. Um, I think if we take the AR biking example. You could be out on a you know a biking expedition yourself out somewhere, and you'd see you know hey this was your last PR you know uh, approaching you as you bike through it, and uh, you know perhaps doing some other interesting gamification things to motivate you uh, to go a little bit faster. Not to mention uh, to tie back to Adam's point about sensors and combining that with uh, AR and VR, you'd have your vital and health stats you know pumped up you know, right next to you and. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, you know the the future of of this stuff in health specifically is massive, uh, not to mention a bazillion other applications that we haven't even we can't even conceive at this point. Right, I was thinking about and it was you would it would require quite a few sensors, but a person could be taught certain motions. For instance, the Olympic lifts are very difficult to learn without the assistance of a coach but you could learn how to snatch and clean and jerk yeah. with VR. Speaking of clean and jerks, how about pornography <laughs> and snatches? That was uh, quite, a, quite a segue there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I've, what I've, uh, what I've um, heard about, I have a friend um, who um, she is uh, an adult film actress who in virtual reality um, so she is pioneering her own business, and um, she started creating content with um, a 180, basically a 180 camera, 
um, but it's it's broadcast into a virtual environment. So you can look around in every direction, but she's you basically, when she gives her performance, you're basically looking right in front of you. And she's described it as, um, it looks like there is a person standing in front of you, and it's a, it's an adult film, and this was uh, this is her product, and right now she's um, she's working on um, she's working with other uh, people in the adult film industry to help them to use her technology to create more content, so you can see live shows of people doing performances. Um, with this, and it's not limited. Her technology is not limited to adult content. Of course, um, you can also use it for, um, you know, anyone who wants to broadcast themselves in front of another person. Um, it looks like there's someone in front of you, um, and there's a lot of technology. There's a camera coming out called Lucid VR, which does 180 uh, stereoscopic camera uh, uh, capture, video capture. So you can very easily, in the near future. Get a camera that to let let you do stereo VR, so you can create a performance that even has nothing to do with um, adult content for other people to see you um, and watch. What maybe you're a juggler, you know? Maybe you want to <laughs> juggle uh, something, uh, or maybe maybe you have a fire show where you're spinning uh, a thing that has fire all over it. Well, you can have these performances. It's no longer going to be limited to the people. Uh, who are right in front of you at the circus. <laughs> now anyone with VR can watch this performance um, with a VR headset. And um, realistically, so, um, and I'm sure you guys have maybe have more to say about, the, about Adam's question, but realistically, um, you're going to be able to, you, we're going to see VR with every, every, in a few years, this is my prediction, uh, but every phone that comes out, is going to come with um, virtual reality, uh, with a little virtual reality headset, uh, like a little sleeve, just like maybe like as simple as Google Cardboard. It'll just come in the box with every single phone so that you can, so that basically everyone who buys a mobile phone will be able to have a headset that came with their phone. You put it on and you can experience, um, you know, if you want, you could experience virtual reality pornography or you could experience a juggling show or a dance or something you know that's you know age appropriate for everybody but you'll be able to do it and you'll be able to create that content as well and you'll be able to have position tracking on your phone so you can move around the dancer and see them from you know if their if their camera captured them from multiple sides and they're broadcasting you can move around them a little bit um, I think that's a that's a sound hypothesis, right? Like, especially if we think the first gen Gear VR is ninety nine bucks. Yeah. Next year it's going to be fifty bucks. It's eventually going to be free. I think companies like Toshiba that are trying to you know get some get a little bit of push behind uh, you know uh, their smartphones are bundling it for free completely. So yeah, uh, I think that'll definitely be possible. And I think you brought up an interesting point with the the Lucid Cam is. You know, a lot of people, when they're thinking of uh, 360 content right now, they think of, or, you know, virtual reality cinematic VR content, they're thinking of 360 all around you type stuff. Um, and certainly adult entertainment is this case where, you know, you really don't want to be looking behind you when you're watching adult entertainment necessarily. Um, and, uh, you know, especially live streaming events. So Next VR, the company that just raised a bunch of money from Comcast and uh, Time Warner, uh, that live streamed the Democratic debate, and uh, 
I think uh, the the Sacramento Warriors. I think the the Oakland Warriors basketball game from Sacramento. That was 180 degree stereoscopic. And you know, if you think about if if people who haven't seen this kind of content want an analogy, it's just like uh, your vision right now. We most we have a little under than 180 degree coverage. I think a little bit more depending on some stuff that our mind can synthesize. Uh, with with some perceptual awareness of what's coming up behind you, but it's like this. So you still have it's a half sphere, and you still have enough freedom to kind of look around. But it's it's designed to be this kind of seated experience. Um, so I think in the near term we'll see a lot of that kind of content. I think uh, people have uh, a lot of strong opinions on whether or not that's you know is that real VR or not. But point being, um, it's if it's done right. It certainly transports you, um, and uh, you know, if we're talking about you know the juggling example, or you know your kid's recital, you know a dad who can't make it, you put one of those lucid cam things, you know, perhaps those things will be built into your smartphone down the line. Um, somebody could kind of you know teleport in and experience that uh, event as it's happening, or you know, or review it at a later time, and it's like you're there, right? And uh, you know that's stuff that we can do now. You just need two uh, pretty decent resolution cameras and two uh, 180 degree fisheye lenses on it. Um, if you and uh, you know hopefully with some kind of gen locking between the cameras. Um, so that's doable. And uh, I think you know to go back to the point to go full circle on, on adult entertainment, they are gonna in a sense lead the charge in adopting some of this technology. Like certainly I think. Uh, the amount of 180 stereo content we'll see the adult industry put out will, you know, dwarf, you know, will, will be, you know, massive in comparison and dwarf over um, anything else, you know, uh, that other content creators produce. And that's not a surprise. It's been like this with video streaming as well, right? And digital video. Um, it, this was the industry that jumped on it first. So I think overall, it's just going to be, you know, whether or not, uh, whether or not you end up, uh, you know. Uh, perusing and enjoying this kind of content, I think uh, it'll be a, a good thing for the industry as a whole because we are in this early phase where people are, you know, kind of more open about talking about like, oh, how are you guys shooting your stuff? And, you know, on the 360 VR professionals group on Facebook, I've seen a lot of guys actually admire the quality that some of these adult companies are churning out as far as Stereo 180 goes. So I think uh, it's, it's, uh, they, they are certainly going to lead the charge, to say the least. Um, I wanted to mention that um, the uh, the adult actress that I was talking about, who's a friend of mine, her name is Ella Darling, E-L-A Darling, and she's been featured um, in a lot of like Recode, like a lot of big uh, news items that you can find on the web uh, news websites like uh, Recode. Um, so you can definitely read about uh, the work that she's doing um, in the adult film industry for virtual reality. But and but um, just a one more step is that. Um, is to for her to create a product for augmented reality or mixed reality, which I'm sure will be one of the next things that she's working on. I'll, I'll ask her about it. But she should uh, s send uh, Microsoft a note and uh, ask for some money <laughs> for, for, for Hololens. Right? <laughs> uh, Adam, do you know what the Hololens is? I have heard of it. What is it exactly? So Hololens, um, it's a it's a visor. Um, that allows you to see the room around you, but it incorporates windows, uh, floating virtual windows. But in addition to floating virtual windows, like you could have Skype on your wall, and you could talk to you could video chat with somebody while you're wearing this visor. Um, in addition to that, um, 
it, it works with, uh, uh, for example, it works with a game called Minecraft, which Microsoft uh, bought. Um, so you can have your table uh, in your living room turn into a Minecraft table, um, and you can see basically your game uh, that you've been building and working on on the PC. Now you can see it on a table in front of you as if it's um, just as just like as if um, you had a board game on your table. Um, and you can also make your walls look like the, the Minecraft can go into your walls. So it's really good at recognizing surfaces. It is wireless, um, unlike the Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive. Um, and but the, the downside right now is that the development kits cost three thousand um, dollars. It doesn't seem like uh, anytime soon that it's going to be affordable to consumers. But um, the president of Microsoft. Um, Who's what, what's his name? Nutella. Sachin Nadella. Yeah. So so he said that um, it's been, they're looking at a five year design plan for maybe bringing release. yeah yeah maybe bring it to consumers. But when they do, that's like um, you know your house can can be your playground, and um, you know hopefully it's open up to all app developers so that if someone wants to, if you want to see a person in your room in in the house in front of you uh, and you know they're doing giving a performance then you know and you can interact with them uh, that is probably um, a plausible scenario um, when Hollands comes out and it's a five year timeline for that um, but that's kind of cool yeah. huh yeah, it's a, you know, even if the release is in a while down, you know, it's worth saying that this is going to be the most complete, and and I think you know, uh, arguably the first and most complete uh, augmented reality, mixed reality headset, um, you know, that certainly industry and you know enterprise and academia uh, are going to you know love and create a bunch of cool applications with. One of the restrictions right now is. Uh, so Adam, if we think about you know uh, these VR headsets having a very you know at least you know 120 plus degrees of field of view, um, this the Hololens has at least the prototype that I got to try and the one that they've been demoing is, is about 30 degrees. Um, so you know I did ask those guys some questions about you know what's the FOV of uh, you know the the dev kit going to be like, but I, I think uh, they they weren't at liberty to disclose that. So I think. Even if it's double that, you know, about 60 degrees, you know, I, I played the little X-ray demo that they that they showed uh, on stage. If you if you just Google this, you can see this demo where this guy's in a room and you're like little robots popping through the walls and stuff like that, and you're like pew pew pew, you know, shooting around at this stuff. You very quickly forget and you know start focusing on that 30 degrees in front of you. And certainly it is a kind of, as Michael was saying, all-in-one device. So the computer's in there. They've got good 3D audio built in. Uh, they've got 3D sensors to scan your environment, you know, ALA Connect or Structure Sensor, um, all that good stuff. So it's going to be a very solid platform. Um, I, would, I would draw a comparison to, you know, perhaps what the DK2 or DK1 was for virtual reality. This hopefully might be that, you know, for augmented reality slash mixed reality. Yeah, I mean, I would have to say that... Um... The Project Tango, which I'm wearing a Project Tango shirt, um, was this phone developed by Google um, with two cameras for depth position tracking. So basically, you had your camera, um, you had your Project Tango phone, and you moved it around, and it had position tracking, 
Um, it wasn't that fast. It wasn't as fast as it needs to be, but basically there, I played this demo called Risky Islands where um, you moved it around, and that, by the way, that's coming to the Vive now. Um, you moved it around, you picked up soldiers with your raft, which was connected to your phone, and you had to walk through the room to another um, location and put your soldiers down, and then your soldiers would go attack enemy soldiers. And you could also scoop up enemy soldiers and tilt them, and they would fall off the raft onto the ground, and that would be it for them. Um, now that's going that's going to be an HTC Vive app, so you'll be totally immersed. It won't, you won't be, but you can, um, so you won't see the room around you, but what's realistic um, is we're at, at, uh, G, at, VR, at um, VRX, Qualcomm gave a speech, and they're saying that the new Samsung A20 that's coming out in a lot of phones next year is going to have single camera position tracking. So that's much faster than Project Tango, so you will be able to realistically um, have uh, uh, mixed reality and augmented reality experiences with a little headset that you can wear that you can see the room around you, but you can also see virtual characters. And this is probably going to be... Um, I don't know if it's going to be as... Um, as uh, it's going to be different from Hololens because um, I mean you have you have um, a hundred degree field of view instead of a thirty degree field of view, and but I don't know about how fast it is, uh, what the performance speed is like, how accurate it is, but potentially you could have some really awesome Hololens like experiences um, coming out next year in twenty sixteen, um, uh, thanks to Qualcomm and their uh, Snapdragon eight twenty chipset. That's going to be awesome. You were saying that the HoloLens immerses you in the Windows operating system. I, yeah. I must admit that sounds like a living hell to me. Yeah. Today, Clippy pops out and is like, hey, do you want to save your documents? And it's like, yeah, yeah. go away, Clippy. Today I want to strangle Bill Gates. <laughs> I upgraded to Windows 10, and it it hasn't been the bumpiest transition, but it hasn't been the smoothest either. Okay. And that's yeah. <laughs> but be so. before we become philosophical and before uh, Bill Gates puts me on his enemies list, <laughs> oh, right. I, uh, I am curious about some of the peculiar challenges you two have faced as developers for VR or challenges you've heard about from other developers. And I think the biggest one is, you know, user experience in VR. Nobody has any idea how to design user interfaces for this stuff. Um, you know, I, I really like this uh, analogy of uh, Jody Medich. Uh, she was, uh, she worked on HoloLens and, uh, and at Leap Motion for a while. So Leap Motion is one of these Kinect uh, style uh, 3D sensor companies. And Anyway, so what she said is, you know, we've spent so much of, of our time kind of designing, uh, you know, any user interface, even if you'd like, let's go back to, you know, Xerox Park, right, 1970-something. It's all basically been flat buttons on a screen, right? It, that's exactly what we've been doing. So um, with VR, AR, MR, this whole spatial computing realm where... Um, you know, arguably, you know, we are spatial beings and we, we are used to, you know, like, for example, you might have it, you know, might find it a challenge to remember where you stored that file on your desktop, 
but you know, three or four items that you scattered around your room, you can probably remember where you kept them, right? It's like you go under that pile of clothes, oh, there it is, right? You just knew it was there. Um, this spatial computing realm has has the ability to tap into that, but it's it's a lot of experimentation right now, and uh, you know, there's there's very little. It's early days, so there's very little standardization, and uh, at best, we're guessing. Um, so I think that's been one of the biggest challenges uh, for me and, and, you know, basically all developers right now is how do you construct, uh, you know, good user interfaces with good affordance, um, don't make people sick, and just make it easy to navigate, especially when the input piece of VR is still a work in progress and we're trying to figure it out, whether yeah. it's... Uh, I wanted to bring this up. So this is kind of... This is a structure sensor on an iPad. Uh, but this is a lot like what the Google Tango Think does. It's a 3D sensor attached to a tablet, so it's like you're, you're, this is a window of looking into the world and using just the pass-through of the camera on here, you can kind of augment your reality or create mixed reality. Um, so this stuff, you know, as, as you know, to kind of go back to what Micah was saying very quickly, uh, Qualcomm was talking about this and uh, had a chance to talk to this really cool guy, Tim Werner from... Uh, PMD Tech, and these guys are making something exactly like this, but it was like smaller than one, you know, piece of a Kit Kat, and yeah. uh, that's going to be in production hardware next fall. Um, so not only can you do this kind of window augmented reality type applications <laughs> using this, and you can also have positional tracking on mobile VR. So you can go from that, you know, three degree of freedom that we were talking about with a Gear VR to six where you can actually lean around and lean in, you know, to look at stuff. So, um, you know, for all of this stuff, I think, uh, you know, making good UI and good user experience is, is going to be a challenge. And, uh, you know, who knows what the start menu looks like, you know, in VR. Two things um, that I wanted to mention about um, developers. Um, I heard at VRX someone said that... Um, those frightening games where the characters jump at you every 15 seconds or whatever, oh, yeah. that's like the new fart joke. That is yeah, just man. really awful. If you're a developer, don't make that game. <laughs> People hate it. It's Jeez. Awful. Um, if you want to make a scary game, don't have characters jumping out at you. I mean, you could see, we, I was recording myself and recording other people. Every 15 seconds, I would go like, <laughs> just, it would really shake, but I didn't enjoy it. And nobody enjoys that. It's just... The other thing is, um, you know, to all the developers out there who may be watching this, I just want to say, like, hang in there. Um, VR is not going to go mainstream uh, right away, but maybe by 2018. That means you have to survive somehow. You have to survive for two stay years. Stay alive. <laughs> then stay alive. Then you're going to make money. You have to be in this for the long term. Um, if you're a new developer, this is a great time to start learning and building apps. Um, but just expect that it's going to be a long window, a long road to profitability for uh, a, a, an artist or a programmer who is building AR apps or being a developer. Hmm. So just hang in there a couple of years, then maybe we're going to start to see people making money. Don't worry, though. The install base is going to go up. It has to go up, you know. It's, uh, I think VR is, uh, you know, VR doesn't need selling. It just needs showing, you know. I think, Adam, you said this earlier, kind of, once you try this stuff, you're going to want to clear out that room, you know. So until then... How do we stay alive? <laughs> what I discovered is the best strategy, and it's going to take a lot of perseverance on the part of different entrepreneurs, but you have to train yourself, you have to train your employees, and find some 
niche markets during this time, during the lean years. And then hopefully when 2018 rolls around, you can make that Flappy Birds app. There you go. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I have to say that, that Verzoom, that, that, um, Verzoom that the, the bike controller that you can get for a couple hundred bucks, that is the Flappy Bird app. Um, basically, when I was flying, using the Pegasus... <laughs> Except you need the $200 the thing <laughs> to play Flappy Bird. <laughs> you need a $200 thing, but yeah, you can... You can <laughs> You know, hit that bicycle and play up there and get those apples. That was really hard, but it was oh, basically that's cool. Flappy Bird. 3D. Like first-person perspective, Flappy Bird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So I think um, um, that uh, Bilavo said he had to go at 3:30, so it looks like we have to. I actually uh, texted uh, the person I had. I've got a little more time, so we can we can continue. If you guys. Oh, so Sounds good. Are you are you good to continue for a little bit yeah. more, Adam? Till, uh, till yes. A uh, quick question. Another quick question. Where should aspiring developers go? What resources should they seek out? Um, you should definitely come to the Oculus Rift Creative Community on Facebook and contact me. My name is Michael Bloomberg. Um, I am helping now. I'm I'm making a lot of connections with the developer community with teachers with artists, with um, VR companies, with augmented reality companies, mixed reality companies, so that we can put together um, in, and find out, you know, basically, basically a big part of what I'm working on is figuring out how to put together classes, um, free classes and paid classes, um, to find people who can teach these classes and to arrange uh, meetups so people can attend these classes um, in the Bay Area especially, but also online classes and virtual classes is another thing that, I'm, that is one of my long-term projects. So at some point, you'll be able to buy the Gear VR and attend a virtual class that I've helped to coordinate and put together. But definitely, I want you to connect, connect with me. Join um, the Oculus Rift Creative Community. Join the, the Gear VR group on Facebook that has more than 6,000 members. Join the Women, in, Women and Allies in AR and VR group. Um, if you um, definitely want to, um, you know, help support that movement to make sure that women and girls are getting great jobs in virtual reality and have great training and they can be artists, 3D artists and programmers, um, it's a great cause. Um, so please join that group as well. And we're going to teach people and we're going to support people in finding jobs. And that is one of my major goals. So contact me. And through Oculus Rift Creative Community, I'm one of the moderators there. Um, and I will help connect you with other Facebook groups and with other people. And we will, um, and we will uh, also create links to other resources. You know, you can learn Unity um, on your own on the web through YouTube. Completely. And completely. And uh, it's worth your time to learn because if you start learning Unity now, that means there's gonna there's, there's a really good chance that if you get good at Unity in this next two years, you're gonna be able to find a really good job um, in the next couple years uh, doing VR awesome stuff. stuff. Yeah. VR stuff. Yeah. I mean, certainly it seems like uh, Unity is the the lowest common denominator for VR development, right? And it's cross-platform. Web. Another and, one. Uh, another mm -hmm. one is uh, Web VR. 
You can, if you understand how to create websites with HTML and CSS and JavaScript, that's the Definitely. basics of what it takes to start building websites in virtual reality. That is going to be even easier than learning Unity. There's also Unreal. Um, so yeah, contact me. I will help you to learn about this stuff so you can start making stuff in VR. And now to society and maybe a pinch of philosophy. I'm sure that many people, even younger people, will be concerned about their peers becoming sucked into virtual worlds. And there are already people who think World of Warcraft is more real than anything else <laughs> in immediate surroundings. Now, there are a lot of positive things about VR2, though. It allows people to explore different personas. I imagine it would let them become more tolerant. It lets them throw away their inhibitions and be whatever they want to be. So it's more life-enhancing than it is life-escaping. Absolutely. We're not talking about... People are afraid, you know, like with video games, that you're going to become isolated, that you're going to become separated from the world. That's not what's going to happen. VR and AR are all about becoming new communication platforms. Uh, we were talking at the top about social networks and VR, but basically social networking is going to be integrated into VR um, in every possible way so that you're not... You're not going to be, when you put on the HMD and you're either doing a mixed reality or you're, doing, you're in a software room, a room that's entirely built out of software, you're going to be engaged with people. It doesn't matter if you're playing a game. It doesn't matter if you are on watching a virtual a vacation. Yeah. Watching a movie. Um, you can see right now, you can watch a movie, but you can also have all your friends with their head mounted displays in the room with you, watching the movie with you. Um, and, you know, you could have a, right now they have, you know, um, like, for example, a popular show is The Walking Dead. Well, there's Walking Dead doing parties where you go to a party and there's a barbecue, and you, and, but then the show comes on and everybody's quiet and you watch the movie together. And, um, or you watch The Walking Dead together. But you can now do this in VR where all your friends are in the, in the same room virtually. You can all watch The Walking Dead virtually and it connects people in ways that, you know, we spend a lot of time, I say the world would spend a lot of time on, you know, Facebook, um, on their phones, on messaging apps, on um, social networking apps, um, and a huge portion of that time is going to, that we spend on our laptops and our phones is going to switch to spending that time in VR, but it's going to be spending that time socially, doing everything mm -hmm. that we do now with more people. Not just the people around us, but the people around us in the whole planet. It's bringing people together. It's increasing our connection with other people across vast distances. You can have business meetings in VR. People are doing it. You can play ping pong across the table with your family in India or, mm -hmm. or uh, Japan. Um, you can have a great um, social experience. So this is not isolating. Don't be afraid that's going to happen. That's not going to happen. It's not isolating. It's it's going to be more socially inclusive, and um, and I think we're going to be having. Uh, I think realistically, we're going to be having future podcasts in VR. You know, all of us. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, people are already doing uh, podcasts in VR. I VR. think uh, Gunter the Universe, I believe, um, is one that I've seen on YouTube where. Um, you know, people actually upload their own avatar, whatever representation they want, and 
so it's funny, you know, some people go with a very uh, accurate representation and kind of, you know, use uh, one of these connect or structure sensor style things, scan themselves and make mm -hmm. uh, other people go with, you know, their, you know, alter ego or persona. And um, they're all sitting around this round table. It's actually, really, we should include a link to this. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and I believe something you could do with High Fidelity, too, is upload your own character design. You can create your own avatar that looks a lot like you. And maybe it'll be 20 pounds lighter. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, you know, that's a very deep question, Adam, you know. And uh, it is a, a double-edged sword like any of these, uh, you know, dual-use technologies, as they're called, right? Um, but, you know, to the people who think it's an antisocial uh, type thing, it, you know, as Micah has, has adequately, you know, outlined that it, it's it has the potential to be so much more social and uh, I certainly think it's going to add you know and Adam you said this is you know empathy back in because right now you think about you go to any YouTube video and you know what do you see you see you know circles with an image in it and then a bunch of text just you know spewing hate on each other more more often than not or being very inconsiderate and uh, why is that because it's just a small icon and text on a screen um, you know, even when we're texting people, you know, we, we all talk about, you know, Key and Peele does this excellent, uh, you know, kind of uh, parody about, you know, how much, uh, how much you can misconstrue one another when you're having to resort to texting. And sure, you got emojis, you know, but that only gets you so far, right? And uh, I think in, in VR, when you can get your hands in there, you know, in, and what we're seeing with things like high fidelity and uh, you know some of the experiments Altspace VR has been doing with a perception neuron, just getting your head movement and your hands in there, you can gesture and convey so much emotion to this other person that yes, one day you know, or in, in the very near future, it could replace the need uh, to travel to Mexico for that business trip, uh, to you know, because you want to have that face-to-face -face contact because. You know, I don't think Skype accomplishes that. I, you know, I think uh, uh, Philip Rosedale actually uh, did an article on Upload VR talking about why Skype sucks in comparison to, uh, uh, you know, kind of social VR constructs. And, and I think uh, those are some excellent points. And uh, so think of it this way. You've got the potential of the, the Internet, right? Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the best ways that you can embody the idealized dream of the Internet is through you know VR, which people call you know the metaverse, and you know, many other terms have been thrown around. So um, it, VR has a potential for a lot of good, um, and at the same time, yes, it does have potential for some very harmful applications. Adam was uh, touching upon uh, you know you could use these you know for training people cheaply to shoot stuff, right? And that's what the military has been doing. You know this this technology was in the hands of enterprise and military for a long time. Uh, you know, companies like Boeing using it to make airplanes and, and uh, you know, flight simulators are an excellent example of virtual reality, right? You know, how many, how many uh, pilots have been trained off of that stuff? And uh, so sure, you know, like any other piece of technology, you know, from, you know, more stereotypical examples of, you know, the, the atomic bomb or atomic energy uh, to the television or, you know, smartphones, this is a dual-use technology, but the potential for good is massive and certainly something that um, a lot more people should look at being early adopters and leading the charge uh, towards what are these positive uses um, to leave the world in a better place and connect people at a much more deeper level than is possible by uh, sending each other Snapchats and text messages.
And Micah has talked about the involvement of women in VR and how to encourage it. It ties in with something that I've thought a bit about when it comes to virtual worlds. You don't really know who's on the other side, so it breaks down a lot of these barriers. You don't know the person's race, you don't know their gender, you know almost nothing about them, not their voice, their accent, any of the things that you could use to discriminate against them consciously or unconsciously. That's a that's a very deep point and I think Altspace VR has been playing around with gender neutral avatars um, you know and that's that's a um, I think that'll help, you know, get people together, certainly. And, uh, you know, you choose what your representation is. You choose what you want to be uh, defined by. And, um, you know, just another point with, with women in VR, you know, I think technology in general is facing this ridiculous problem. Um, you know, I'm just thinking back to my computer science classes in college, and the ratio was just deplorable. And if we are creating this metaverse, guys and girls, we need women to help build this with us. It can't just be this thing that a bunch of dudes get together and you know make the the you know the idealized Star Trek holodeck. It you know we need to have all kinds of voices, you know, be, you know, all kinds of voices and immense diversity to you know create these new constructs. So, you know, anyone watching, you know, if you're thinking about VR, right now is the time to get into it and you know Mike pointed you guys to a bunch of resources, right? Mm -hmm. Um it's 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 very easy to get into this stuff now. Unity makes it easy. Even uh, stuff like Unreal, they've they've got this blueprinting language, where you know if you're not great at C C it's very easy to break stuff in C in comparison to C sharp. But they've got this node based visual programming language essentially yeah. to start coding stuff. So yeah, if and you, yeah. If I just wanted to add that um, you know a really good point is there was this guy who was he's he's a He's a venture capitalist. He has a lot of investments. And somebody asked him, this was just the other day, they said, why is it that you don't have more women? How can you basically have virtually no women uh, working for you? He, he made this really awful comment, this horrible comment. He said, basically, we can't find any qualified women to hire. Um, we found one person from Harvard. We hired her um, to run a company. Um, but, yeah, basically, we can't find uh, good women. And the thing is, he's such... You know, we we were talking about um, you know, um, he he should be he should come to the women in VR in AR meetup. He should meet all of the hi highly qualified women who are actually out there building virtual reality applications right now. The women in tech and women in VR and women in AR and VR. These are three different communities of women uh, who are encouraging more women to um, to build careers in VR. But the point that I wanted to make was that. Um, second Life is a, and I said this earlier, Second Life is has a billion dollar uh, 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 gross domestic product and the vast majority of people making money in Second Life, the vast majority of people making you know that billion dollars are women. More than 51% of them are women. It just, that economy just would not exist without women. Women uh, are definitely exist. Women in tech exist in large numbers. They are building worlds and 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 uh, products in Second Life. They're making money at it. There are billions of brilliant, technically inclined women who are capable of running world-class businesses on this planet. There is no excuse for tech to have this gender bias. 
this man at the virtue at the venture capitalist industry just hasn't been looking hard enough. Um, he's been his personal bias is completely wrong. He's just been living in his own narrow mindset, and that his his judgment is the problem. His mind is the problem that's blocking him from seeing the opportunities of women in tech and women in VR that can be running our businesses, that can be filling our our tech companies uh, with a 51% ratio. This can really happen, um, and there's no excuse for it. Well, besides the grave need for computer science majors to bathe, I think a lot of people find that off-putting. Um, that's the other thing is um, what, like Balava was saying, was that you can um, you don't need a computer science degree. You can yeah, teach yourself. You can teach yourself Unity. You can build VR with JavaScript now, thanks to WebGL and WebVR. Um, you can. Uh, there are tools that will let you, if you can, if you want to be an artist, you don't have to learn programming. You can design worlds. You can design products, uh, three-dimensional products. Um, you know, like uh, like, you know, toys that you can use in VR. You can design it with applications that are being made for you, with applications that exist for Second Life. Um, you do not have to be a, a coder. You don't have to have a computer science degree. This, these are things that ordinary people can learn and do and make money at doing. Um, yeah. So there's no, there is a very low barrier. There's, there's very low barrier to entry. entry. Yeah. yeah, I think Micah, you hit on a great point. I'll just add there is like you don't necessarily have to code if you're trying to get into VR. Let's say you don't want to code and you just want to be a VR designer and build assets and worlds in VR. You know, 3D modeling, texturing, rendering, that kind of stuff is so easy to get into now. Just go on YouTube and on the Internet and just search for tutorials on 3D modeling. You will just find pages upon pages. And, uh, you know, Blender is a great free tool, tool to download. But and Maya. Yeah, but even Bohemians, yeah, to that point, even Bohemians like Autodesk make all of their production professional 3D software available for free. So you can go on Autodesk right now, make an account, and download Maya, 3ds Max, Mudbox, any of the stuff for free, and start building this stuff. Yeah, Tinkercad is a great place to start if you are not visually inclined, and I'm not at all. But it was so intuitive and so simple that, hey, I put together a pawn to print off. And those skills translate, right? They, you build those skills in these easy applications like Tinkercad, and and that translates perfectly into Maya or Blender or whatever whatever else that you uh, end up jumping to. In the end, the end, the end, the end. You know, the, you know, the concepts are the same. A slight bit of static or something. It's gone. Uh -huh. All right, guys, we are nearing two-hour mark. Mm -hmm. Okay. We can.